1: BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Right, welcome to another BritFlix Frightflesh preview podcast and I've got with me, Kevin Gates. Hello Kevin.
0: Good evening, hope you're doing fine.
1: I'm doing very well, I'm doing very well. Are you up there in sunny Bedfordshire?
0: Uh, Hertfordshire, near enough Bedfordshire, yeah, in Sunny Hitchin.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm in, uh, I'm North East London. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to give any illusion that we're in the same room. Let's keep it honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> the power, the power of, of technology and communication. Um, and do you want to tell uh, your film that's going to be at Fright Fest is the Paranormal Diaries, Clop Hill. Is it, that's the it? one. And uh, before we get into that, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And your own film history prior to that film?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I started off filmmaking. Actually, I started off at art college doing painting, something painting painting back in the day. And um, the college ran a filmmaking course, which, you know, I was a film buff, so I got involved in that. It was a practical course, so that was really cool. Um, from then on, sort of started making experimental films. I went to university and did that sort of stuff. Um, not so much sort of... Um, commercial filmmaking it was quite sort of experimental a bit pretentious I suppose back in the day but what's yeah. quite interesting it which didn't really paintings. have a link didn't really have a link to what I'm doing now but it was actually this was back in the mid 90s there was a um, a module we it called found footage film which wasn't quite what found footage film is today it was literally splicing together old library films and Scraping the emulsion off the film, painting it, sticking dead insects to it and running it through the projector and sort of to see what would happen. Um, Usually it would result in a fire or something like that. But that was the sort of stuff we were doing back then. It was a bit crazy. Um, Left university, tried to sort of work my way up the ladder, you know, working in Soho at various places, but wasn't really for me. I totally respect people who do that sort of, you know, sort of spending a year or two sort of trying to get noticed working about the ladder. But I really wanted to sort of pursue my own ideas and I thought, well, no one's going to fund this. I've got to put some money in myself. Um, Did that, did a few films, worked on a few other people's films and then worked with a guy called Mike Bartlett who lived across the road from me at the time. We had an idea for a film called The Zombie Diaries, which this was back in, you know, the idea was back in 2004, I think, um, that was essentially Blair Witch with zombies you know and there wasn't really the whole wave of and sort of subgenre of found footage films at the time obviously there were films before it but not really sort of that many and it was just sort of kind of the the right film at the right time you know when we finished it it took a long time to sort of shoot over weekends and and that but you know when we finished it we previewed it at our local cinema and just literally that point when Romero announced Diary of the Dead so it was kind of it was a happy accident you know the film was sort of a, a passion of ours but it was kind of also the right film at the right time and from there on you know we did the sequel and also the paranormal diaries we've kind of been sort of like the diaries guys you know sort of doing this yeah. sort of found footage stuff but um yeah it's just sort of it was the right film at the right time and it sort of went from there really
1: i like that i like the idea of the um the original found footage which which i'm familiar with from other art school friends but i'd completely forgotten about it as a as, a, as, a, as the true found footage after obviously <laughs> yeah. since Blair Witch's it popularity was... we've all known what found footage means in cinema terms
0: yeah I mean back then it was something completely different this was literally like finding old 16mm films like Say No to Strangers and um, cutting them up and re-splicing it into something completely different <laughs>
1: that's what we were sort of doing back then it was a bit a bit crazy and silly but we had a lot of fun doing it now you, say, now you said you you sort of went into film via the kind of art school route but is there, is there any particular sort of film play or novel that you think sort of represents a tipping point for you where you thought i'm going to be more than just a fan well i mean
0: the, the film that i always say and i've been saying this for years really but I, I can't really change my tune is is john carpenter's the thing because for me that is the benchmark for horror and sci-fi and it still is as far as i'm concerned when i first saw that film i think i saw it on a black and white tv in my home you know on like a beaten up old vhs tape but um you know, for me, that was the one that I thought, "Wow, this is incredible." You know, and I still, I still watch it. I sort of, I watch it at least once a year. Put it that way. You know, How old just were just you as... when you
1: first watched it?
0: I was probably about, ooh, probably about eleven.
1: Brilliant. It's good, isn't it, to uh, to scare ourselves silly, and it? it just leaves that impression for the rest of your life. Well, it does. It does. And actually, I, the first horror film I ever
0: saw. Was when I was about four years old, and that's really where I sort of <laughs> got into horror films. That was sneaking downstairs at midnight to watch a film that my parents had rented on one of the first sort of VHS machines back then, called *The Devil's Rain*.
1: I've not heard of that film. Do you want to tell me? Uh, tell me about it. *Devil's Rain* is um,
0: it's one of those sort of hokey '70s occult movies. There was a lot of them around at the time, but uh, I guess it's quite um, quite fitting with the film uh, I'm showing this weekend, but. Um, it was, you know, I was about four years old at the time, so I sneaked downstairs watching this film, and it was—it's pretty crap now, actually, to be honest, looking at it. But it's the, the scene where all the faces melt at the end. You know, as a four-year-old kid, I found, wow, this is amazing. You know, and um, I sort of um, tried to seek out more horror films like it. You know, and, it, and sort of it kind of went from there, really.
1: Yeah, I think I think I was—I don't know if I was four, but certainly I was young. Mine was a—I think mine was a Hammer House sort of after match of the day, you know, the babysitter let us stay up. Oh yeah. And then it was um and I can't remember the name I never can remember the name of it, but it's one where a a monster of some description climbs up a drain pipe and she opens the curtains and it's like oh, okay. you don't actually see it. She screams and that the babysitter went, You can go to bed now. She <laughs> so just went to bed with the nightmare. Great That's stuff. The curtains, not, the, not the body being killed. But anyway, um so um so do you want to give us a brief intro, then, to your film that sh- that's going to be premiering at Fright Fest? Yeah,
0: so it's, uh, it's The Paranormal Diaries' Clop Hill. Um, I guess I'll describe it as a, a supernatural horror film. Uh, it's part fact, part fiction. But importantly, it's 90% completely real. Uh, and it centers around a, a documentary documentary team, including myself and co-director Mike Bartlett investigating the legend of clophill uh, Hill, it's a church in bedfordshire that has a big history of the occult and paranormal goings on
1: and um, and Hannah, Hannah, how did you sort of come across clophill as a as a center of all this sort of myth and paranormal activity
0: well I live quite close to Clophill. Hill. Uh, it's only about sort of ten minute drive away, and I'd known about it as a as a teenager growing up in sort of you know, sort of probably about nineteen ninety I think it was the first time I went up. And of course there was no internet, so there was an, all we heard was sort of vague stories about this place. Drove up there in a friend's beaten up old car up this dirt track at night, saw this sort of foreboding ruin in front of us, and it had this history of the occult, and it sort of you know it was. It was quite terrifying that night, but it sort of stayed with me. And then some years later, I sort of read a bit more about it. There was more information online and more books about. And um, it was actually, as we were trying to shoot Zombie Diaries 2, there were quite a few problems trying to get that film financed at the time. There was a lot of people sort of, there was a lot of interest in the film because the first one did pretty well. But um, there was a lot of people sort of messing us around. And I sort of got hold of some equipment. I thought, well, I said to Mike, let's just go out and shoot something. You know, it's an experimental project. Um test all the equipment out and get some friends together and just just see what happens really and it sort of it took a long a long time to sort of um, you know we shot the film over a weekend in 2010 and I went off and then did Zombie Diaries 2 because that all happened and then I've been sort of chipping away at the edit of of Pill ever since and I've sort of added new scenes in that we shot at different locations and it's sort of um, it was only sort of early this year that I actually showed it to some people you know not even knowing what, what what they'd sort of think of it really, but um it went down really well. So I refined it some more and and you know, we got a sales agent interested, they want to work with us. We sort of gave it a sort of, I guess a a commercial title that links in with the previous films we'd done, although it's it's very different. And it's sort of gone from there really and it's you know, it's um it's going down pretty well. We picked up a, a UK distribution deal. Um, you know, Frightfest Supported us with the Zombie Diaries. They watched the film, really liked it, and have supported us again. So it's sort of, it's kind of sort of snowballed pretty, pretty um, recently after sort of a very long period of sort of editing.
1: And how, how, I mean, you say you say it was kind of slotted in, fitted in amongst things that were happening with other film projects you were on. Um, what was, how did you balance that that um, the idea of the fact and the fiction in terms of making what is a feature film?
0: Yeah, well, it was an experiment. I mean, originally, the idea was quite different. The original concept was that Mike and I weren't going to be in it. We'd be working behind the scenes and we'd set up all these interviews with you know, real witnesses, real you know, residents and all that sort of stuff. But we'd be sort of lurking around Clotpill and we would sort of play a few subtle tricks sort of throughout the film. But when we sort of sp- thought about that in practice, we thought, well, actually, it's probably going to be too risky doing that. So we've got to be in on it as well. So for the most part of the shoot, the whole weekend, right up to the end it was completely real and we'd even tricked our friends who were the crew into believing it was completely real as well right up until this last scene we did and you know we, we shot that scene it worked pretty well and we thought you know this, this is really good but we it needed more work to it, it sort of it was it was a good framework what we shot over that weekend but it definitely needed more you know more scenes more story to sort of make it into something that was I guess essentially a sort of commercial horror film.
1: And what was what got what got added then in terms of what you'd done in the expect from what you did in the experiment um well i mean the, the experiment stuff
0: what we did was um you know we we'd, we literally set up one sort of thing at the end of the, the film where there was this um we'd have someone hidden in a bush basically was what you see in the film you know but um that was all sort of set up but then you know we tricked everybody into into believing this but um and that, that whole sort of experimental side worked really well. You know, of course, I had a background of experimental film. I was kind of, I was kind of used to that. And it, it was a very low-risk project. You know, it was completely self-funded. It was very low budget. So there was no risk at all. Um, but of course, I wanted to make a, a film out of it. So we went back and shot all this additional footage.
1: So that, is that presumably, is that all the stuff that you did that was um, the kind of talking heads
0: in the setup? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we had, yeah, we had um, a lot of interviewees originally. But what we didn't have planned was sort of interviews with the cast and crew. That came later on.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
0: And also, obviously, a lot of stuff at the end was. But, but but even the stuff where the cast and crew are talking, including myself, again, you know, 90% of that is completely real because we are talking about real stuff that happened. And when you see the film, there's a lot of stuff where it, it is obvious, you know, I guess that this stuff is is fiction. There's other stuff as well where even the security guys we had who were not in on this at all, were the most freaked out of anybody up at this place, and these were sort of you know tough guys who sort of you know done mm. security at football matches. But when it came to sort of taking them to Clop Hill, this isolated ruin in the middle of nowhere with this history of stuff, they were sort of seeing all these shadows and stuff, and all the you know all the stuff with them is all completely real. You know, cool. I mean,
1: cool. Well, ca- careful, careful with the spoilers.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. you know, I know,
1: because I mean, one of the things that I enjoyed because I, I got a screener of it. And uh, what I enjoyed particularly was, in terms of that kind of melding together of what appears to be real and unreal, is um, the the mixture of the the kind of the locals you expect to speak to, giving it the the myth and whatever. Plus, like you say, like like you've said there, that the the crew involves. You had a a mix of voices, i.e., people that were fresh to it, going, "This is what I've seen. This is what we've done." Plus the people who've probably told that story, arguably told that story a million times.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of the, um, you know, the locals aren't too happy to talk about Clop Hill because it is a bit, you know, the ruin is a bit of a stigma because of the stuff from the 60s. But, um, you know, some of the guys we spoke to were sort of some of the witnesses. the first time they'd been back to the ruin in about 50 years or 30 years. Really? There were sort of two witnesses, you know, so that was, and they were quite actually sort of quite moved going back there after witnessing this sort of stuff. So that was all really, you know, really interesting for me. Um, because I was quite, I'd done quite a lot of research into Clockbill, but to actually speak to people who actually witnessed this stuff was um, was pretty interesting.
1: And um, I mean, you, you mentioned right at the very top that you, you kind of dabbled with um, sort of going into, so with your work and things like that, but now you, you chose to go another which is you back with, uh, with Michael making your own movies. Because looking down the credits, particularly for this film, You know, it's it's arguably uh, the question would be, what didn't you do in the film, (laughs) rather than what did (laughs) you do? I mean, how how do you balance the requirements of each of those roles to make? I mean, I mean, I guess framing it around the idea that you you you, you felt there was no risk, but you know, you still want to deliver a good film. You know, you've still got reputation, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's really about keeping things as simple as possible. You know, there there wasn't a script at the start. There was there was basically an itinerary of the weekend. For what we did for the main shoot. And then obviously I wrote additional scenes afterwards, but I'm, ki- I'm kind of quite used to sort of multitasking, you know, from sort of, I guess from the zombie diaries films, I was pretty much always doing the camera work and directing with Mike and chipping in, doing the producing stuff. So on this sort of film where it's very small scale, it's quite easy to balance. Some of, a lot of these things, you know. Obviously, there on Zombie Diaries two, it's a bit different because it was a lot more regimented. There were a lot more people involved, so that was kind of a bit of a different experience for me. But um, I was still involved sort of in quite a lot of different areas. But um, it's just, yeah, it's just really about sort of not trying to not trying to do too big a scale of film when you're trying to do, you know, so many roles. Just keep it keep it simple.
1: And and, and 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 again, it's kind of it's kind of ironic given given the where found footage is now in terms of the the genre the genre movie and your what you say was your you sort of early early dipping your toe in with the proper art, art experimental found footage idea. But thinking about thinking about Clophill, um and you know we hear all the time that 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 found footage is done because it is a cost effective way of making a movie because yeah. clearly you don't have to light everything like you would if you were making a normal movie in the same way um but what 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 would what challenges does found footage present to a filmmaker in your mind
0: well I think it's um it is quite a tired subgenre now i think um, you know it's been around for obviously it's been around for for, for decades really but yeah. certainly in the last few years you know there's pretty much every area of horror has been covered by the found footage film so you've really got to come up with something different um i'd say that I think when we did *Zombie Diaries one. We sort of, you know, it was it was quite innovative at the time. *Zombie Diaries two, I'll probably be honest and say it probably didn't add anything new to the, the sub genre. It was just a, a sort of post-apocalyptic tale. You know, it was yeah. um, it, it didn't add anything new. *Hoopill*, you know, we tried to do something different by mixing fact and fiction. I don't really think it's been done in that way, where it sort of starts off as a straight documentary but but gradually becomes sort of fictitious by the end. So that was really the hook of the film, and it was about doing something something that was fresh. Uh, I don't know how found footage is going to sort of, you know, evolve further from here if it can. You know, I guess it, it might just disappear and then maybe come back in 10 years' time or something.
1: Well, I, th- I mean, one thing you've avoided doing, which which is certainly many people's bugbear and certainly one of mine, is the kind of, the, the ongoing headache-inducing found footage, which is this idea that if, you, if you're violent with the camera enough, that will, you know, end of watch did it as much as anything else. You know, you kind of think with horror films, it's like, I'll throw the camera around a bit.
0: Yeah, I really, I really sort of getting tired of that now. I think I watched, um, I did watch a found footage film the other day called um, the Dinosaur Project, which actually I think it's called the Dinosaur Project. I may be be wrong. I think it's called that. Uh, It was pretty good, but again, it was sort of like you know, whenever something happens, it's just like, let's try and shake the camera as furiously as possible. You know, and it's sort of, I've probably been guilty of that in, you know, Zombie Diaries One. Although I think we had some of the actors operating the cameras, That's probably why that happened. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that, and it's sort of, it's, it's. Grown a bit tired, I think. Really, it's sort of it's a bit of a cheap shot, really, just to sort of shake the camera and have try and rely on the sort of the voices of the actors to convey everything, because the, the visuals just you know just a bit of a mess. But yeah, it's not not really sort of my thing anymore.
1: So um so what so so the, we're, you're going to be showing this at Fright Fest? So the the obvious question is, and 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 we're BritFlix and we're obviously we want to promote British filmmaking, which is yourself plus obviously Bright. Fright Fest being one of the world's biggest genre film festivals. What, yeah. to your mind, what, why, what, what makes Fright Fest so important to the world of uh, of horror making?
0: Well, I mean, I think. Well, firstly, I think it is the platform for UK horror, and I think that's really important. It is and it is very prestigious. So, obviously, know, I'm um, incredibly pleased and proud that we've made it in. Um, but I think, I think really, what's is important. It's not just mainstream horror. The guys are very supportive of independent horror, which I think is where the things are really happening. Um, they're very supportive of UK indie directors, you know, and they're always sort of pleased to sort of try and promote those films. And they've, you know, supported us and other filmmakers who I know in the past. So I think that's incredibly important. And I, you know, and I hope it always stays that way as well. That obviously there, there, there are some sort of bigger films in the festival, but there's also a lot of very small films that perhaps, you know, wouldn't get any sort of screen time or recognition elsewhere. So I think, um, I think that's really important.
1: No, no, I mean, I, I think that's the key to any festival to win this video. It's the true alternative to the cinemas. You know, cinemas are locked into whatever deal they are with studios and stuff, which means the independent doesn't have the access. So the festival is a big marketing board, isn't it, really for independent film?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's getting it's getting so much more difficult now to distribute films. You know, in, in a sort of like the, the way of getting a physical release out or getting cinema screenings. A lot of it, you know, we were really fortunate to get a you know a, a physical release of Clockpile that's coming out in October but um you know we were offered deals that were just straight to sort of you know pay tv and online and was, you know so sort of thinking well that probably is the future but it's um it's sort of it's it's not got the same sort of I don't know but it's I, I still you know perhaps I'm a bit old-fashioned but I still like to have a physical copy of a film with the artwork and all that um so but what, it is getting what, what it's getting should, a lot harder
1: what release have you managed to get then in October what, what, what we've got to look forward to
0: well, it's coming out via Second Sight, um, who've done a really good job. Uh, they've been a real pleasure to work with, and um, they're releasing it on DVD. But it'll also be on sort of a lot of the sort of on-demand platforms as well. And I think they're looking at a sort of limited cinema release as well. So it's oh, it's, it's, it's looking pretty good.
1: Excellent. Um, and do you want? Is there any before we get on to the final question? Is there any is there any projects that you can talk about that you're in in the process of developing now?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, off the, off the back of doing Clock I'm actually finishing off a book at the moment because I did so much bloody research into this place. I had all this wealth of information, so I'm finishing off a book on that, which I'm trying to get to come out sort of later this year as well. Right. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sequel to Paranormal Diaries, uh, which we've got planned. I want to try and keep it fresh, though. It's not going to follow the same sort of formula that we've used for, for Clock Pill, although it is obviously heavily reliant on... Um, on sort of the realistic side and the fact that a lot of it is real but um, I'm just sort of writing scripts at the moment just sort of seeing um, seeing what's sort of out there and planning stuff for next year but no- nothing sort of you know I'm sort of taking a little break after clock pill just to sort of get the right project um, but it probably won't be a found footage film um, unless it's sort of unless we do the paranormal diaries 2 the next project is, is going to sort of move away from that because you know after sort of three films it's sort of it's been it's been great but I think I want to do something a bit different perhaps.
1: Okay, okay, and given given it's Britflix, and we're doing, and we're trying to, we're we're, we're celebrating Fringe Could you give us um, a British horror film that you'd recommend to Britflix listeners? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: uh, you know, I'd, I'd usually say something like The Wicker Man or uh, Witchfinder General because they're two of my favourites, but um, I'll go for an, um, an even older one, and I'll go for a film actually I rewatched recently, which is The Curse of Frankenstein which was the, the, the first of the Hammer series. And I watched that again recently, and it's really, um, it's really still powerful, and it's still really quite graphic as well. Um, and it's aged really well. And obviously, you know, Peter Cushing is always incredibly reliable and gives a great performance, yeah. um, as does Christopher Lee. But that one, I, you know, I think if, if any of your listeners haven't seen that for a while, check that out again, because it's, um, it's really, really good.
1: And, and, um, and uh, I presume, being Zanir, you'll be coming down to the festival, I guess. Oh, yeah, I'll be
0: down on Friday um, for a couple of days over the weekend, trying to catch um, as many films as I can and uh, just catch up with some friends because, you know, it's, it's a great community at Fright Fest. There's a lot of people who know each other and it's, um, everyone gets on well. It's not sort of pretentious or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's just sort of mates getting together and going out for a few drinks after the film. So I'm um, really looking forward to it.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well, look, if there's a chance to say hello, then I'd like to, I'll be there all the weekend. Is, that's my plan. Great so, stuff. Hopefully we can say hello at the Empire sounds good alright well look well thank you very much for your time I realise we're the listener won't know we're a bit late this evening but uh, but yeah I'm very grateful for your time there pleasure take care it's the Britflix.com podcast it's the Britflix.com Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty-nine each,
0: then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.